Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Queer Not Here, where we're sharing the stories of LGBTQ Malaysians who've migrated away from Malaysia. I'm Nez, and this episode I speak to a good friend of mine, Siok, who's a gay academic doing her PhD in Syracuse, USA. Siok talks to me about community, language, and identity politics in the US. Thanks so much for supporting this podcast, and enjoy the episode. Um, okay, do you do you want to be anonymous at all? Um, can I decide after you've done the whole piece? Yeah, I guess it depends on what what I share today. So we can decide on that later. I have no issues, but you know, in case I bring in something that might might hurt my loved ones, for example, I I wouldn't want to share those things. You know. So, yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. we can keep it open. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how do you identify? Oh damn. <laughs> <laughs> Ayo, why this question? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you're talking about gender, gender, oh. sexuality, all of the above. However, you want to identify. So now I introduce myself as um, I use both she, hers, and they, them pronouns. I usually mm-hmm. say they, them first. I, I use I, I use they, them, and she, hers. Um, in terms of how I see myself, I see myself more as a non-binary, but then again, I'm also reluctant to, um, kind of put myself in another third category box, you know what I mean? So, um, I mean, like, I would say that I, I don't mind people calling me he, him too, but I don't need to, there's, there's no need to be in solidarity with me, so I don't, you know. So for me, like, it's, it's like, first of all, um, in terms of, like, affinity and solidarity, that's how, that's how I pick my identity or how I identify. Um, and they, them, mostly is because most people will read me, especially here, as non-binary or trans. And I mean, I was also in the trans space for a while when I was sort of questioning, when I, you know, first just you know learn about this term and trying to yeah understand like what does gender mean to me and all those things and I am well I've definitely like expanded my vision my views and perspective for sure after coming here I guess I could have done the same in Malaysia because it's like kind of getting worldwide I suppose like in the last five years non-binary has you know really become a thing like before that I, I didn't you know yeah, that's that. And um, I used to get sort of offended if people call me sir, but nowadays I don't care anymore, you know. So I think that's like a part of the result of having better understanding of gender and mm-hmm. better understanding of identity on like personal, interpersonal level, you know. Mm-hmm. So the, that's a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> It's the longest answer I've gotten yet, but it's great. Oh, okay, yeah. And in terms of sexuality, of course, I'm still only attracted to, I would say, bodies with feminine quality, but not overly feminine. And in fact, I wrote the whole paper about like my discomfort with hyperfemininity and how I like go back, you know, all the way to my childhood and like patriarchy and all those stuff. But like that. that's another conversation. <laughs> I want to read that paper. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm I'm still definitely like investigating um, why I have this comfort to hyperfemininity. Hmm. Something I, yeah, we never understand. I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm attracted to people that you know, as you know, my type. I think you know my type. <laughs> I think I know your type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like like that lah. So um. <laughs> What I say, mostly I will say lesbian. Um, usually I say gay just because, I don't know, it sounds easier. It, gay is still easier, but then of, I understand like, also the political part of like having to use lesbian in different ways. Like, anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> so there's no simple answer yeah. to everything that you're asking me, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So when did, when did you leave? When did you go to the States? 
Um, I would say 2016 to for like official sort of like long term. You know, I first came for like the three months thing at New York Film Academy in 2013, but I didn't consider that part of my U.S. experience. Mm. So uh, I would say 2016. And that yeah. was for um, education purposes, right? I mean, that was the yeah. main reason you went and you and stayed. I, well, you know, I might still, I think I'm still, I mean, I'm coming back next year for sure. I think next year or the day, uh, year after, at least for two years to feel, like, you know, fill things out. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, so actually, I, I don't know if I fit like your um, criteria for this, this project because I don't consider myself immigrant here, you know. Mm. I'm still, a, I still consider myself as international student. Mm. And you always wanted to come back. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want. I wanted to. I, <laughs> I wanted to, but after I started my PhD, I mean, towards the end of my MFA, like the second and third year, um, it was, you know, getting a little bit tricky. It was getting a little bit more difficult um, for me with the idea of like leaving US for good. So that's before I got news about my PhD acceptance, right? And um, I think a lot of it has to do with like, I feel for the first time sort of in my life, uh, I have a strong sense of community here, mm. you know, and um, support that I receive from this community. And this community is mostly tied to the academy but I mean, it's a it, you know it's a space where I feel like I can learn and learn and have support and give support, which as you know my life in Malaysia in the past I was moving from one place to another and even in the diving you know diving industry thing, I was like not really really part of it because I was also doing video like, all these things I never really felt strongly connected to you know a community or even land right. So, so I think, yes, there's definitely like getting comfortable here. Um, and of course, I, I'm sure you heard this a lot about people who come to US or other, other global enough. That's the sense of freedom that you don't get, right? Mm. <laughs> so, mm. No, so, <clears throat> how, how did that feel for you? Um, in some ways, like, again, like, it gets a little bit more complicated as I got to know more about like all these other um, um, tendency for institutions and mainstream to co-op things, you know. So it gets a bit complicated. Like yeah, it, it feels like really liberating and empowering um, to be able to understand all these marginalized identities better and to feel proud about it. But at the same time, you know that it's being capitalized, you know, and you know, it also gives you certain ways of getting into spaces. So it always, you know, kind of makes, makes it harder for you to sit with sometimes, you know? Yeah. And it, of course, like creates all this imposter syndrome, like, oh, am I here because I check all these boxes of diversity, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So it's a but, bit tricky. But in terms of that um, freedom, I mean, I always saw you as a pretty independent person. I think, you know, from when you were younger, you were off diving and moving from kind of island to island and living your own life. So was it a different kind of freedom to that? Um, well, we've my earlier life, like that kind of freedom was mostly, um, I view it as like um, choosing the lifestyle that was appealing to me. And those lifestyle had, maybe you can call them identity too, because like, becoming a diver was, a, you know, is an identity. Mm. But um, that time I wasn't thinking around like gender and sexuality at all. You know, mm. I was conforming, you know, Oh, so, so that freedom was different from from this kind of freedom I'm feeling here. 
I guess I can you can say that that freedom was more on physical or outs you know outside kind of freedom, and here it's more internal in some ways. Mm. You know, so mm. you feel more like affirmed with like who you are or you know who you are changes so whatever. But you know, part of you that you have <laughs> yourself rejected. Yeah, you can kind of embrace that a bit more here, you know,、mm. and have a different perspective of what has been deemed like, you know, not a very good identity in the you know the the ways that Malaysian views certain group categories, you know. So, so all those things. How old were you in Malaysia? I'm. I'm. I was. I was quite out, but um. But I wouldn't use it in certain spaces. Like when I was teaching at Sunway, I had a student who asked me, "Teacher, are you gay?" I'm like, "That's a personal question." <laughs> you know, because I was thinking, "Is it okay? Am I gonna lose my job if I tell if I openly say so?" You know,、mm. even though I was just teaching part time. And that student now is like fully gay in UK and like you know identifying as like gay filmmaker. But anyway, I I feel bad sometimes because I could have been a better role model. I could be more proud, you know, at at that moment. Right. right. Um. But I thought it was pretty clear too. I don't know. So like I felt like you don't even need to ask it. Come on, do you really have to ask it here in front of the class? You could have asked me privately. Like, come on. So. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, I'm not out to my family.、Uh, I mean, to my siblings and some of my cousins. And I think most of my relatives who are on my Facebook, they 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 should know by now. It's pretty obvious, so obvious, you know. So, but no one has asked me any questions directly in terms of family members.、Um, so I just kind of don't talk about it, you know. But I also share a lot of other other things like. Disability justice stuff as well, right? So I don't know that people might think, oh, maybe she's just like you know supporting, so whatever. <laughs> how is your relationship with like how did moving away affect your relationship with folks back home, if at all? I don't know.、Um, I haven't thought much about it. I thought there are some friends that I'm still very close to. Like even like you, right? Like we don't we don't talk that much, but I feel very close to you.、Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Every time we so, talk again, it's like it's like no time、right? has passed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> With like family as well. Family, ha- I mean, as you know, I've always been away, and it's always better for me to have some distance from my parents. Actually, like you know, so um, actually, some friends too. I feel like. If I'm in KL all the time, we will never meet up anyway. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but when I go home and visit, it was like, oh, I'm home, and then everyone will, you know, be more enthusiastic about gatherings and stuff like that. Mm. So mm. I don't see distance as a thing. And like with my niece, because、um, I've always been able to connect on like video calls. I don't, as I said, I don't really need to be physically there with someone to feel close to them. So, I don't think it imp- impacted me that much in terms of moving here.、Mm. Yeah, if if anything, maybe oh, I'm like, I'm confused about my career trajectory. Like if I go back,、mm. you know, because in some ways, like I was never very rooted. Anyway, in terms of career, like my professional, you know, whatever, you know, because I was not really like an up there filmmaker, or、mm. you know, okay, maybe in the diving industry, I was a little bit more established, a little bit, but still, like, it's not part, it's no longer, the, you know, what I I want to do, you know, in terms of what I think I can do for for the world. <laughs> 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 you know, so I do. I do concern. I do have a lot of concerns about going home and how am I going to adjust.、Um, and like, I never, I never feel very empowered back home. I have to, I have to say. In in what way? Every way. <laughs> like, you know, like 
I, okay, like Anna is my mentor, and I, I, was, I would say probably she's the only one that I can really go to for advice. Mm. Um, for a while, I was kind of like talking to the universe, like, can you just give me more mentors, please, like around me, you know? And I find a lot more here, of course, because I mean, you know, of course, in America and in academy, and I have all these amazing professors around me. So I'm very blessed for that. And I don't, I don't know how to find those people in Malaysia, right? I mean, it's like, because I'm more rooted here now, mm. you know? So even to go into like teaching, I don't know. I feel like I have to like figure it out from, from zero. That's how it feels like, you know? So like in terms of, okay, in the past, how I never really felt empowered. I guess I, I always feel like I'm, I was, never really good enough in any spaces that I try to get in, you know? And I don't know if that's a common thing that people feel. <laughs> so it, it was hard to find my footing. I couldn't find it. Mm. Um, do you have any Malaysian friends there? Like, so in Syracuse, I didn't know any Malaysians until recently. So before there was like this uh, one guy, Pang, He's kind of like my, my brother here. He's an undergrad in architecture. And he um, found me on a Facebook group for like Syracuse University, Malaysian alumni, whatever. But it's mostly like all these uncle, aunties, Malay, you know, who came here like 40, 50 years ago. So I was the only like Chinese <laughs> there and the only one who's still in the Syracuse. So he reached out to me and, like, hey, I'm coming. That's like when he was coming here and in his first year. So he's the only Malaysian that I know back then. And um, last semester, I thought, let me do the same thing. Let me reach out to the international office and ask like, hey, can I uh, have a list of Malaysian students here? Because I, I didn't know anyone Malaysian here. It was just him. And then there's this manager in Chase Bank, um, which I never really, you know, keep in touch with. Um, so the office, due to legal reasons, they didn't want to share the list with me, but they said that I could give them my email and they could sign it out to them and they can reach out to me if they want to. So a few people re responded. So now we have a WhatsApp group and then someone introduced me to a staff who um, just finished her PhD last year in psychology and she's working here as a psychotherapist. So we had our first kind of gathering last week. Four of us came out and shared some food and be Malaysian. She brought durian. <laughs> what? Where did she find durian? <laughs> in this Asian store, but it's like fifteen dollars for like a frozen pack right. of like maybe six pieces. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, oh wow. It was it was nice to be among Malaysians like, and and speak like this. And it's interesting. Like I'm taking a class now called Discourse Analysis, and I only come to realize like, oh, you know, actually Malaysian language thing is is itself like a discourse, you know. Mm. So I didn't realize. So they have this term called code switching for black people here, mm. where they speak certain ways among white spaces and different ways like using black language and culture with their friends and family which has been deemed like less intelligent and all that so there is a, has been a push a movement to embrace that and to acknowledge that right and i was thinking damn like you know malaysians have the same thing similar things like i don't i mean i i speak as you know i'm sure you do some code switching yourself too when you're speaking to malaysian yeah. we use you know love I you know I've been thinking about this a lot re recently, actually, just because mm -hmm. I realize like I have many different ways of speaking depending on who I speak to, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I like for us, uh, I feel like it's quite normal for Malaysians. You kind of switch depending on kind of who you're talking to and in what language you're speaking, right? Yeah. And we do it more in maybe maybe in just a social thing, and we don't think so much about power. I guess mm. it's in some ways okay. Like sometimes, I guess like people might look down upon someone who only speaks Manglish, you know. Mm. And of course, it also comes from a place of privilege to be able to switch fully understand mm. that too, right? Of course. So. You know, so it's it's interesting, and like for for most of us, 
I guess even English is still a second language, right? So even we are code switching from one form of English to another, it's still not really our primary language,、mm. you know. So it's kind of tricky, and like I don't really feel I have a primary language. I mean, like Can- Cantonese, I think, and but I don't think I can have this interview in Cantonese. I'll be like, you know, what that one was that word, ah,、uh, you know, feminism, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, which is so, a which is a problem in and of itself, right? The lack of language in our native language、um, yeah. to express these ideas and thoughts. Yeah, because I guess it's you know we are not provided that kind of ed- education. I'm sure there are people who write this in those languages, but we are just not exposed to it. So、mm. all our critical thinking skills comes from English medium.、Mm. You know, so of course we can only articulate in English, right?、Um, but but yeah, I wanted to go back to like having Malaysians around you. Is that something you need? I think it's definitely nice to have,、um, and I think just just like anything, you want to be around people who get you, right? But the thing is, being about the thing about being Malaysian is even among Malaysian, we don't have one identity. So even among Chinese Malaysian, there are differences between me and them.、Mm. You know, those who went to Chinese vernacular school,、um, and those who study in Taiwan, or you know, and I, with Malay, as you know, you know, we have our differences too. You know. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely nice to have your Malaysian friends, and sometimes,、mm-hmm. like in in the first few years when I didn't find my Malaysian friends, I、uh, I would hang out with the Southeast Asian students. So, you know, some Cambodian, like you know, Myanmar, Indonesia. There's a few here, and Indonesia will be the closest when it comes to food.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then again, I'm vegetarian, so that's another story. <laughs> You know, so it's annoying. Like, of course, I would love to just go and have have their rundown and all that.、Mm-hmm. You know,、mm-hmm. so a bit annoying. I mean, it's not annoying. It's like my choice. But do you ever do you ever get like nervous or anxious when you meet a Malaysian you don't know? Who, I mean, you know, you don't know what their politics might be and how they feel about your queerness and things like that. I never felt that I had to hide my queerness among Malaysians in the states, or even actually most most Malaysians、um, our age back home. I I have no issues, except for some, you know, some extremists that I just met, like some random strangers and all that. But most of the people that I actually am friends with, I have no issues, lah.、Mm-hmm. So. Is more of、um, I feel like Malaysian can, like with this guy Pang, I can talk about politics with him a bit more too, in terms of our perspective here, because、um, we don't easily just like just pick a side left or right in in the states. We see more nuances. We see more like complexity,、mm-hmm. so we don't easily just like. Yes, Biden. You know,、uh, at least I feel, that's how I feel. You know, at least like from my conversation with Pang,、mm-hmm. um, and like, of of course we understand the importance of you know Black Lives Matter, but we also see the implications, right, and how it's being、mm-hmm. used and co-opted. Just like pride, right? Like now it's like, oh no, it's like you know commercialized and all these things. Like, so、mm-hmm. now like,、mm, do I still want to hold that pride flag and all that? Like, I don't know anymore. I probably、mm-hmm. I probably don't want to. <laughs> do you do you want to? I mean, I totally. I think it's different being here. You know. Yeah.、Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I totally see the corporatization of it, and it's it's quite gross.、Mm. <laughs> But at the same time, I I kind of love that I suddenly see so many rainbows everywhere in June. You know.、Mm-hmm. Just because,、mm-hmm. I mean, because we don't see it here physically, right? It's not. At every storefront, it's not like every Starbucks becomes rainbow. So、mm-hmm. just to kind of see it online, even is feels really nice.、Mm. 
yeah, our relationship with pride is obviously so different. But I totally get what you're saying. And I mean, I did, I w- I did go to London Pride once and I totally was like, oh, wow. It's like a million brands vomited rainbows on me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all these brands. Yeah. 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 How about your um how about your racial identity? Did that did that relationship change at all when you moved to the States? For sure. <laughs> this is something that I write about too. Like, you know, how I became the person of color here. That is interesting. So when I first came I don't identify as person of color, like what well, person of color is for Americans, you know? And I still mm-hmm. think so. But I think again, like my um, expanded understanding of identity of like personal, interpersonal, and, and institutional. Like okay, even if I don't identify, people will read me a certain ways, and I do share the struggle. So again, it's a matter of like you know solidarity and affinity with certain groups. So I'm a lot more uh, mindful about identity as a political choice. Did it change the way you see race relations back home? Yeah, I guess uh, having a better understanding or more in-depth understanding of um, identities that's being constructed and that holds like hegemonic power. I see the parallels of whiteness with being Malay, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's very problematic. <laughs> I didn't, I mean, like, I, I knew it was problematic, but I didn't see it from, like, the whiteness lens, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Malaysia, again, is sort of same and different because, like, economically in the past, Malay people were behind Chinese mm-hmm. people and, and all those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here I, I'm fully aware, like, again, the implications of using this identity um, and... I'm in so many different communities, you know, I'm in the LGBT community because I check all these boxes, right? And yeah. so it's, it's a bit annoying because, um, you know, a lot of scholars have written about this, like you do a lot of invisible labor, you know, mm. Mm. and it's, it's, it can be exhausting and, you know, you're always pushing back in certain ways. And of course, like now I, I can see that and analyze it more. Back then I just felt frustrated because it's all about power, right? And back then you just yep. felt that power is being stripped off you and you have no words to articulate it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And then you just walk away. And I think Malaysians are good at walking away. You know, especially Chinese Malaysian, like, hey, yeah, you know, don't, don't find trouble, you know, like, just work for BN, like, you know, we don't mm-hmm. have any riots, <laughs> you know? So I think in some ways, like, also having to be um, more more well, sort of mind, mindful about my, my, my actions and inactions, you know, so sometimes knowing more, really, you can't help but not be able to do any actions either. Mm-hmm. So it's tricky, you know, and, and then when you see some online stuff slandering people who are not doing anything, like that. but you know, when you know more, you just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you ever have conversations with like non-Malaysians and you're trying to kind of explain how race works in Malaysia and our politics? Yeah, oftentimes I do. And I usually use it to, again, help them to trouble the binary understanding of this like, you know, dominant, non-dominant, oppressed, oppressor. Because like, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's always... That's, even that has the fluidity, you know, and it shifts, you know. Yeah. I do use Malaysia a lot to, let's say, trouble um, most people's understanding of affirmative action. Mm. Right? Because we are a good example. How it's biting us back now. That's how I see it. Mm. Um, because, yeah, like, it was used to uplift Malay, which at the time was seen as I wouldn't say they're not dominant, but they are seen as like a group that needs assistance <laughs> or the government thinks so, right? Yeah, but I guess the, I mean, the issue with that is that they were economically disenfranchised, but politically powerful. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 
this is why intersectionality is a great framework because you yes. know <laughs> no one is just the oppressor or just the oppressed yes. you know nothing is black and white <laughs> yeah nothing is black and white although sometimes they are but you know <laughs> yeah so yeah like an affirmative action here is just understood as it's the right thing to do it's the right thing to give space for those who are historically marginalized, which is not to say that I disagree completely, but it becomes very problematic when um, they implement the same tools to categorize people and to give resources mm -hmm. based on those labels and categories that they assign to people. Mm -hmm. So first of all, the categories should be, you know, disrupted and we should, or, or at least the hierarchy should be disrupted. I think groups are okay that we need, we need diversity in life, but we should not hold one group more powerful over the other. And a lot of those words are both, both internal and external, mm -hmm. right? And then um, here, like, sometimes people abuse them, just like anything, um, when you're, you know, given certain um, upper hand, whatever it's called, it's, you know, some people will abuse it because people will just find ways to ascribe or get, you know, label themselves in such ways. And, and I think like, okay, if, if there's enough resources and for everyone, then even if people abuse it, it's not an issue, but it becomes an issue when those who can't get into those categories are also already suffering, mm. you know? So then it becomes problematic. So even though I am all for like uplifting different marginalized groups and all that, but I think it's important to also talk about capitalism and not just not just identity and race and all those things, you know? Yeah, it has to be intersectional. Yeah. Do you feel safer and more sec or more secure as a queer person there? Yes and no. Because in Malaysia, I guess, um, because I'm not Muslim, I never have to hide really for legal reasons, right? Yeah. The only one time I felt threatened was when I went back to Sampona one time and some ex-staff of the resort was on the street and came up to me and said, welcome back lesbian in a very sort of scary, threatening way. And that was, oh my gosh, that's, you know, <laughs> that was a bit scary for, for you know, that moment. And for a few days after, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, so I, because I was in the resort, I was holding my girlfriend's hand at the time and we were walking around. And I was like, ah, you know, I, I didn't kind of naive to think that like everyone's going to be accepting, you know. Mm. But um, here, some people do try and like advise me to, you know, be more careful a little bit because I'm visibly certain ways, like visibly queer, visibly Asian and all that. Um, sometimes I do sense some um, discomfort in some people around me, but I never really felt threatened in a way, except recently when I was on a bike, but I don't know if it has to do with the situation in the US right now. Basically, there was like a white guy who like screamed at me at the intersection. And that was a bit scary because he looked like he's high on something to begin with. And like, what did, what looked, did he scream? No words, just ah, at me. Oh. <laughs> that was a bit scary, you know? So that was the only time I felt like, oh, you know, is, is this is this because of a race thing going on or what is this, you know? But generally, I I guess I'm also like in my academic bubble. I'm sure it's different if I go to, you know, I don't know, some like, you know, places like Alabama or whatever, um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, and Syracuse in general is quite progressive or liberal, whatever you want to call it. So, and New York City, as you know it, you know, mm. you're probably more empowered than being gay and being straight. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> um, are there things where you are now that you wish we had in Malaysia? So many things. <laughs> I guess. To begin with, I think like 
we need to talk more about race. I guess mm -hmm. we, are, we are avoiding that so much. Yeah. Um, I think we need better understanding. We need better critical theory. And mm -hmm. like coming here, I felt like, you know, it was very eye-opening. And I was wondering if these conversations um, is happening in Malaysia. Maybe they are, but I wasn't part of that group. And now I'm beginning to see like, oh, okay, like, I guess the group is kind of there with like, you know, some, some groups like, even my sister in Islam and all those. Like, so, so those conversations have happened and are happening, but I wasn't involved in that community. Mm. So I didn't have, I also didn't have the tools to engage in those conversations at the time, mm. Mm. you know. So, and I'm also aware a lot of these conversations also happen in in spaces that itself is holding a lot of power, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. mm, so I guess at the very least, maybe like more conversation around gender, race, and all, all these things can happen more at, in public universities. I don't know if they're happening, but like maybe not based on some of the things that people share, you know, how, how mm. certain university is still like trying to put people in camps and you know, for being gay and all those things, you know. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think that conversation is mainstream here. Yeah. 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 Not in the way it needs to be. Yeah. So are there things about Malaysia that you wish you had there besides food? Well, I think even though in terms of critical thinking and theory, it doesn't happen as much in Malaysia, but the sense of community is stronger, yeah. I would say. And yeah. I think the understanding of sometimes like community, I feel like the word gets a little bit overused in, um, you know, in academia, because I think the true understanding of, of community is like, you know, back in the, the school in Sabah, how like they close the whole school because they have a wedding and everyone's helping out. That's community. Mm you know and yeah. even even my family don't practice it to that level anymore but at least i think like my mom and her sisters will always have each other's back um and i guess like i will say like my friends like you know like even yourself and my high school friends i think we will always have each other's back i think maybe it happens here but i don't feel it as strongly um that's why i think that most of my close friends now are international students i don't feel i don't feel that with americans i can share that same level of intimacy with them i think maybe like culturally also is a little bit different but i find i find that perspective incredibly individualistic mm. a lot of times Right. I think I think the pandemic was a great example of that. Yeah. So even sometimes in social justice spaces, you know, like I was involved in um, the group that's trying to unionize the grad students because I thought union sounds great, right? You because I, my understanding of union at the time was also very limited and shallow. You know, I was just thinking people getting together and talk about issues together and then build powers. That like, sounds great. And I realized the freaking organizational structure is just similar to all, all these other like, institutional structure. It's top down. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really not respecting agency, mm. you know? And like, it's also based on membership. So it's built on exclusion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I'm like, yeah. damn. So even, even that kind of organizing is individualistic. It's, mm. it's, it's not it's not liberation for all right so that that cannot be justice that cannot be justice i agree have you seen any change for lgbt malaysians since you left um i see some malaysians are more um like embracing non-binary and um I think the conversations are around trans has grown a lot more than before. Mm. I think, at least from what I see on Facebook. Do you keep up with news back home? 
so not really, not really. I, so my only, I'm my only source of news back home is whoever who you know are sharing on my Facebook that pops up and say, oh, okay, this is happening. Um, mm. And then in terms of like news about like politics and COVID, I have this WhatsApp group with some of my Sabahan friends and and they. Yeah, it's also they are mostly making fun of like what's going on, right? And I just enjoy reading them. So, ah. But Malaysians are quite funny, lah. I'm I'm glad we like keep ourselves laughing through all the madness, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how we use humor. It's almost mm. like a way to I don't know. There's so much you can write about that is on its own. So mm. like now, one thing I'm interested to research more on. Yeah, I, I don't know if you follow Uncle Roger, and there's this other person called So I'm Jen, and she has this persona called Auntie Xiao, and then mm. there is this other girl who used to work for MGAC, and she has this character called Asian Mom, and they really push and embrace and use this Manglish thing, and I find it very interesting that we use Manglish used mostly for humor. Mm. Um, but we don't use it in any official like interview, like you know, or anything like that. So I find that it's both okay. It's it's like sort of empowering in some ways. Like I I feel like I embrace Manglish more now, whereas back back then maybe, also now I have different understanding lah. But back then I would hide it, to, mm. you know, when I I'm speaking with white people or whatever. I I guess now I'm not hiding it, but I'm just like okay, let me just like try and include you in the conversation so you understand what I'm talking about. But, you know, back then would be like, oh, let me put away the shame of speaking Manglish, you know? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but to see them using it, like, and, you know, they, they do something like code switching too when, you know, they, they kind of move from one person to another. And in some ways, it's also capitalizing on it. They, you know, they, are, they are successful influencer, like Uncle Roger. He, he was not famous when he was just a stand-up comedian. And then he became Uncle Roger, and suddenly now everybody knows him, you know. So what does what does that mean, you know? And to laugh, what does it mean to laugh? For me, like, oh my gosh, am I laughing at my internalized racism thing going on here? Or like, you know, what am I laughing at? But I know yeah. I'm laughing with them, so at least I'm not laughing at, you know. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, okay, I can laugh because I belong to that that group mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. I think white people cannot laugh. Because when then I will be like really like what are you laughing? You know? <laughs> 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 you know? <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's also interesting how we use humor as political commentary, right? Like mm, mm. anytime some politician does something stupid, which is you know almost every day. Um, <laughs> there'll be like a thousand memes suddenly pop up mocking yeah. this politician or something, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like in some way it's the safest way to politically criticize the mm. the establishment. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And yeah, you, you don't... Well, some people do get into trouble, but those are like really pushing the you know, the boundaries, like, you know, like that stupid guy who talk about eating bakute for Hari Raya, whatever, those are stupid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's just just disrespectful. I think that's a line between, like, when you're mocking politicians, it's different than mocking Mm. the entire population of Malaysia, you know. Yeah, but it's so, I feel like because it's so normalized, it's so easy for us to fall back into racist tropes, you know, mm-hmm. or, or to use racism as, as commentary, as mockery, as anything. I think like in, in that sense, like, I think it's great that we can still kind of have conversation around it, um, whereas here, it's a little bit for me, a lot more problematic and dangerous because right now, um, you know, there is a lot of policing around language and political correctness, which um, I find very unhealthy. Um, and 
here um, they also play into a lot of like, in my view, like guilt around privilege. So when the conversation is stuck because people with privilege is feeling guilty, people who are oppressed are feeling like they are a victim, you just can't, you can't have a productive conversation when people are just like stuck in those mentality, you know, and it's easy to fall into one of those. Yeah, At least in Malaysia, we just, we just laugh about it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hey, yeah, yeah, la, you know, Chinese people away can get that all, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I always wonder if it's better or worse, or maybe that's like the wrong way of thinking about it. But, you know, just like how blatant our racism is compared to like more subtle institutionalized type stuff in the States. Because that that brings up a whole different kind of challenge, right? But for mm. us also, because it's so blatant and normalized, it's a different <laughs> challenge in itself, right? It's true. Yeah, yeah. I was just in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to like question what just happened. Was that like you know? Was that what's the word already? I forgot. Like um, passive aggressiveness. Like you know, like yeah. yeah. Microaggression. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that, there's nothing micro about our aggressions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but like, as I think more about identity, like, you know, the same thing as we feel about um, home, right? Like, yes, of course, on an ideology level, is we all are one and the whole universe is home. You know, but another day you wanna come back to your your bedroom and like sleep on your bed and feel like ah oh, home. So mm. I think like that's the same with identity in some ways. Of course, there are the political identities that you use consciously for political reasons. But you know, being Malaysian for me gives certain level of comfort. You know, mm. um, which I'm still struggling to embrace fully because I'm like, what does it mean to be Malaysian? Like you know. <laughs> you still having but, those those. Uh, questions in your head I think I will always have that because just because like I never have a strong as I say one primary language that mm. I can fully just like feel comfortable and confident in using and I will always struggle with language I don't think there will be a day in this life in this body that I can feel fully comfortable about language that's the reason why I I don't always like feel comfortable to go to like spoken words events because a lot of times the words just like go past me like this, you know? And strangely, I feel like I can comprehend Malay poem a, a lot better. Even even like Shaiyo, I can maybe process them better, but I can't write them. I don't think I can. Maybe if I try now, I could, but it's because like it's my first learned written language, right? So I can always just, tune into RTM and fully understand the whole charama, you know, mm. but can I repeat those words? Maybe not, uh, you know, right now, now, mm. but with English, I can speak like this and I can, I feel better nowadays and I feel more articulate, but still I, I can't just like, I don't see myself as, you know, a fully proficient English speakers that, and go on the stage and do this performance like some people do so comfortably. I can't, you know. But, but don't you feel at the same time the fact that you can speak three, four languages is a whole nother thing? It is when you have, again, it's like, does, do you feel good to have five homes or do you feel good to have one home home that really <laughs> is the place you go back to every day, you know? I don't know I feel like with yeah with languages it's so or even for like you know Chinese Malaysians yes you call them different dialects but really you're speaking like multiple different languages and you're able to and it's normal right and it's mm -hmm. I feel like that's such an undervalued skill that we take for granted the for sure 
Yeah. yeah, I think it's very powerful that we can do that. And a lot of a lot of times, like when people here learn that I speak sort of four languages because Cantonese and Mandarin is, as you say, like two different languages. Like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, but again, like yeah, like okay, yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons to all. I... Okay, last couple of questions. Um, what do you wish for the Malaysian LGBT community? Ah. <sighs> Well, I wish that, um, first of all, people don't have to hide because of fear of legal reason or being criminalized or, you know, having their safety concerns. So that has to come from the policy and, you know, nation state level. Yeah, so um, I think it's important to broaden our lens and expanding our understanding of identity as well, so that we are not falling into binary views of, you know, being oppressed and oppressor and trouble that a bit more. Mm. Because I think if we keep seeing ourselves as the oppressed, then really it's just reinforcing those those hierarchy and mm. those structures, you know. But let's just say, like you know, Malaysia is in a different place, so I guess the very first thing people need to at least be able to do is to embrace and feel and to feel empowered first. And that has to come with a lot of like consciousness raising and you know awareness, which we don't have the the space to do because of our political climate and all those things. So yeah, so I guess the first is still like on the policy level, like the very the very least like people should feel safe to to choose to be who they want to be, who they want to identify with. Um, do you have any sounds that remind you of home? Mm, sounds, yeah. In the summer here, you hear more crickets and then it's like, oh, that sounds like Malaysia. <laughs> yeah, crickets. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It's been Thank so nice you. to see you. Yeah, good Chat. to see you. Chat soon. Love you. Yeah. Bye. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Queer Not Here. If you'd like to give me feedback or have any inquiries about what was discussed in this episode, do write to me at queernothere at gmail.com or hit me up on IG at queer.nothere. If you're enjoying what you've been listening to, please do share with friends and family and thank you all for your support.